Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue with Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. This passage begins with Saul's approval of the unlawful execution of Stephen and ends with, despite heavy persecution, the spread of the good news to Samaria. Please follow along as Pastor Jim teaches today's slice of this week's message entitled, The Gospel Goes to Samaria. And as wonderful as it was to have seen thousands turn to Christ in Jerusalem, it was another dark day when Stephen was murdered. And then as we saw, some devout men buried Stephen. And here's another little tidbit the Holy Spirit made sure was here. And made loud lamentation over him. Why that little comment, made loud lamentation over him? Well, it means they love Stephen. It means they they thought this was wrong. But we know that according to Jewish law, as eventually it was codified in a massive collection of writings known as the Mishnah, uh, this is not from the Old Testament, but we know that Jewish law prohibited any public mourning whenever a criminal was executed. So, the Sanhedrin had declared Stephen to be a criminal worthy of death. So, when there was loud lamentation over his death, that was a public protest against the Sanhedrin. They were saying basically, nah, we're not buying this. Now, it was surely not only a sad day when Stephen was killed... It was also the beginning of fearful times for Christians. And I said it was a dark day when Jesus was killed, but three days later he rose from the grave. And we've seen the the long-term effect of that. Well, here uh, we're going to take a little while to see the glorious things that happened after Stephen's death. It was the beginning of some fearful times for those Christians in Jerusalem. Chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Now again, in the retelling of his story in chapters 22 and uh, 26, Paul is going to explain that his actions in ravaging the church were fully sanctioned by and done fully under the authority of and with the blessing of the Sanhedrin. He's going to explain in one of those places that he was furiously enraged with the Christians. And he says that he always voted for their deaths whenever the opportunities came. This is one angry, murderous man. The word translated ravaging is one of those really interesting words. There are some, you know, Bible words that are really fascinating and tell a great story, but this is one of those that's interesting because it's used only once in the New Testament. This is the only place it occurs. So if you want to do a word study on this book, it'll be over really, on this word, it'll be over really quick. One occurrence. 
It's translated ravaging. But obviously the word was known to Luke who wrote this book and Luke knew that his readers, Romans, understood this. So we look to see how was this word used outside of the Bible and we find it was used for the destruction of a city, ravaging a city, leaving it in ruins. It was also used for mangling by a wild beast. It was Saul's desire. It was his tireless quest to rip the church apart. So far, the persecution had always been aimed at the leadership, the apostles. And then Stephen, who was the close associate of the apostles, now Saul is going from house to house to root out Christians. Think Nazi Germany or Soviet Union, or North Korea, or what's going on now with the hands of some of the Fulani Muslims in, in Africa. House to house, ripping people away, men and women equally mistreated and imprisoned. Saul's purpose was Satan's purpose, the total destruction of the church and the extermination of every follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I've read the rest of the book. God wins, but oh, the enemies are serious. The persecution here is going to be used by God to result in scattering the church throughout the regions of, brace yourselves, Judea and Samaria, just as God promised. It would be hard to imagine how terrible you would have felt if you loved Jesus, if you were one of His followers and you witnessed Him going to the cross. It would be hard to imagine how terrible you would have felt if you were part of that thriving, bustling church in Jerusalem in those first months after the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and then you witnessed the arrest and the murder of Deacon Stephen. That would have been rough. But take a step back and see this in light of the plan of God. It was his intention to spread the gospel to the rest of Judea, then to Samaria, and, and more beyond that. You see, the, the gospel is similar to a virus in one respect. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of a virus, little things that go around. You have to be exposed to someone who has the virus in order to be infected by it. Well, this was the unfolding plan of God. In His providence, He used the evil, murderous enemies of Christ as unwitting tools to get His people to places where others could be infected with the gospel. You can't help but think of what Joseph said to his brothers. Remember, they were going to kill him, and then they bargained down to, well, let's just sell him, and they sold him into slavery, then they lied to their father about it, and eventually they wind up coming to Joseph to ask for food in Egypt, not realizing that's Joseph. We've just been through that in our daily emails in, uh, in Genesis, but these famous words that Joseph said to his brothers, Genesis 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me. He didn't just say, oh, that's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. No, he said, you were evil. You did wrong against 
me. There was no mincing of that, no softening of that. But the sentence goes on. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Now, it's really interesting that the same man who was doing that ravaging of the church, he would eventually be the one whom God used to write some of your favorite words in the Bible. It's the New Testament version of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It's Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God accomplishes His good purpose for all of His people. How sad for those people who had to flee for their lives. I can't imagine how they must have missed basking in the apostles' doctrine day in and day out. How they missed the sweet fellowship that they had enjoyed. But this was God's plan. He used even the most evil schemes to arrange for His plans to be unveiled and for the gospel to spread. It's like those horrors being inflicted on Ukraine. They really are horrible. But God is building the church in new places, even through that. If you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, keep the right perspective. If you lose your job, God's hand is upon that whole situation. If you lose your health, God is at work through it. And it's for your good. If your loved one is suffering, God intends to use that situation for His glory and for your greater maturity in Christ. If you are discouraged, if you are weary, if you are frustrated, you're biblical. Romans chapter 8, we groan living in this fallen world. But never forget that God has a glorious, eternal purpose for whatever you are going through. More words written by the Apostle Paul apply here. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. In the context, he's recounting some of the things that he has suffered for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, I used to read that phrase, by faith. Now I know it's true from experience. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. You say, well, wait a second, that's not about me. I know how fast momentary is. This has been lasting for weeks. It's been going on for months. We've been taking care of, of, of great-grandma for, for a year and a half now. What do you mean, light affliction? I can't even walk. What do you mean, momentary light affliction? Well, momentary in relationship to eternity... 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.